the Canoe West Media Studio on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. It's October 2016, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. Today at the virtual roundtable, afforded through the magic of the internet, we have Shirley Hardy Ricks. Shirley, good morning. Good morning. And Brian Ricks. Hey, guys. Grant Johnson. Hello, everybody. Sam Manicom. Hey, good to be with you guys. And Graham Field. Hello. And of course, myself, Jim Martin. Well, good that we're we're all here. We're all chipper, ready to go. Even the Aussies who have just got out of bed. I mean, I can picture you're, you're probably still in bed, aren't you? Uh, no, we actually did get up this morning. We're sitting at the kitchen bench, in it, but still in our jammies. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. <laughs> the good thing is no visual with this. Yeah. <laughs> that can be fixed. To kick things off very quickly, getting into the uh, the topics for today, but I'm going to throw a bit of a wrench into the work because what I did was I did a quick post the other day on the Raw Facebook page to see if anyone had any questions. It was suggested that we do this, and it's something we thought about before. I mean, I think we've even talked about it. So I just threw it up there quick. And one of the, the first questions that came back was from our own Graham Field, which I thought was an excellent question. And his question was, and I think he really thought this out too, it, which overland motorcycle do you most associate with cupcakes and why? <laughs> I forgot I did that. Yeah, I yeah. took back my other one. <laughs> Maybe that isn't quite a good question. Maybe we'll just, we'll skip ahead to what Alberto Lara put in there. And Alberto asked, what waterproof gear option do you prefer? Rain suit, uh, inner waterproof liner, outer layer as part of the riding jacket and pants, a plastic poncho or a large plastic bag, or... No waterproof gear at all. So who wants to kick that off? Okay, um, Brian, go I ahead. Will. Oh, surely. Oh, no, it's me. I've got a cold, Jim, but I don't think you sound quite as deep as Brian. Um, I always um, take a waterproof jacket and waterproof overpants because I can wear them not only when it's wet, but also if it's cold and windy, just to break down the wind and keep me a bit warmer. And the pants I have, I got at an American camping store and I've since had to replace, but they have zips that go from the ankle to the waist so you don't have to lie down on the ground and wrestle them into submission on the side of the road to get them on. So that's that's my preference. Yeah, I've tried yeah. just about everything out there, I think, over the years. There's, there's uh, lots of choices and lots of options and I've had top-end gear with the inner liner and top-end gear with the outer and I got to tell you, the, the inner liner has its pluses if you know it's going to rain all day. But if you don't know if it's going to rain all day, having to stop at the side of the freeway and put the inner liner into your pants. Susan just doesn't like it for some reason. I haven't been able to figure out. She gets really annoyed. I'm on it. her side. It's Yes, there are times when you don't want to take your pants off on the side of the road. Well, especially if it's yeah, raining. So. <laughs> yes, and the traffic is going slowly by you in the traffic jam. <laughs> um, I, I have, I have both. Um, you can remember, I think there's been a couple of uh, uh, broadcasts where um, I've been travelling with mates, and uh, I've had to lay down on the ground and have them pull my pants off, uh, my overpants off. I don't like it at all. But um, I, I, I prefer the overpants. I've got to say, and the ones that surely have got. A really good 
um, and I had to replace mine uh, when we were overseas, and I bought uh, some with just uh, the zips down the sides uh, near your, your feet, and they are a pain to come on, on and off. Um, and I agree with Grant that um, with inner liners, if you know it's going to rain or be cold all day, they're all right. But, um, yeah, I've got actually got a pair of pants where I, have the, I just take the liner out and leave the inner liner out of them and um, uh, just wear over pants and over jacket, of course, for the exact the same reason that Shirley said. The only problem with that is you've got to carry the bloody things. I, I actually prefer the inner liner when I'm riding. It's lighter. It packs smaller. It's, it's better in a lot of ways, but it's... It's just a pain to change into all the time. The overliners, the overpants, much, much more easy to use, but they're always bulkier and heavier. Uh, they have to be tougher and thicker than the inner liners, which means that they get uh, dirtier and they're heavier and they're bulky. And trying to pack them is a royal pain. I hate that part of it. And I've got the ones with the long full zip all the way down the leg. And I think to me, that's an absolute must. I wouldn't buy rain pants anymore that weren't full zip. The one thing that I like about the putting it over top of your riding gear is that it keeps everything dry. So if you have po- stuff in your pockets like your wallet or your phone or something like that in a front pocket um, that can be waterproof on most jackets that are even the Gore-Tex ones for a certain amount of water. But once it starts to really pour, then it, you have a better chance of getting them wet. And I find that 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 over that, that cover over everything just helps with that sort of thing. And besides, I can't stand taking all my gear off just to put my rain gear on only to take it off a half hour later. It's so much easier when it's on top. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for me, a lot of it depends on where I'm actually traveling. Um, if I'm scooting around Europe, then I'll just go with my um, waterproof bike trousers and um, Gore-Tex jacket, and that's that. But if I'm overlanding, then I want to go for layers because I ride with um, reinforced canvas um, bike trousers for the breathe- breathability. Um, and I really like to have the additional layer that I can put over. But one of the things with waterproof trousers that I always look for is not only the zips that go a long way up the leg, but also that they're lined because that way they're a lot easier to get on and off and you do have that extra layer of warmth that goes with them, which, of course, if you're riding with canvas jeans, you know, even though Kevlar lined, that makes a huge difference. But I also like to, to when I'm traveling, to wear um, a waterproof jacket over the top of my bike jacket because then I can be using it when I'm off the bike and you can get them so thin nowadays that they pack away to almost nothing. But it's just the additional flexibility. You know, it's the old two uses rule, isn't it? Everything you take has got to try and have two uses. So I like what Shirley was saying about um, the additional warmth and the windproofness and, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, I'd go along with that. Graham? Yes, Actually, if I could just take it back a step before I move forward, um, because you were so keen to get into this topic, you didn't give us a chance for a little bit of uh, small talk at the beginning of the program. And deeply apologise for that. That's all right. I'm sorry because I have something to say this time. And uh, well, firstly, um, <laughs> well, uh, actually, a couple of things. Firstly, when you did the introductions just now, it felt like the, in the register being called at school. We're <laughs> waiting for your name to be called. So you say, uh, hello. <laughs> but um, You didn't say present, reason, though. <laughs> probably the reason I thought that is because I did. I, I've been quite elusive all summer. I did my first show last weekend in uh, in the UK. And the amount of people who came up and listened to this show. And uh, I had no idea that people listened. And I'm far more nervous today. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're just not talking to me, mates, on Skype. I know there's people listening out there. 
<laughs> so it was quite incredible how many people were listening. It was really touching and how enthusiastic they were. Because I always wonder if, you know, is it a little bit self-indulgent, us all sitting here telling our stories. But apparently people like to listen to it. I was really touched how many people enjoyed enjoyed it and, and listened to it all. So, um, so having said all that, I suppose I ought to answer the question. <laughs> before you do, Graham, before yeah. you do, um, I've just been at Overland Expo East and um, I counted 14 people out of the, the people that I natted to who said exactly the same thing. Um, and quite a few of them had actually ended up being at Overland Expo East because they'd been listening to um, Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Yes, yeah, so well done, oh. Jim. Good job. Awesome. Yeah, I keep hearing awesome. the same thing at all our events. Yeah, uh, it's good. I think it's on all of us. And, uh, Even down here in Australia, we have we come across so many people who listen and we get um, messages through Facebook from people who listen asking questions or I got a message just a couple of days ago from a couple who are about to set off on a trip to up and they were listening to one of our podcasts where Brian talked about us ditching the top box because it weighed too much from the outset and he said, that's such a good idea. They've ditched their top box and they've reorganised the luggage on their bike, courtesy of listening to us on Adventure Rider Radio. So, oh, yes, nice. Jim, not only are they listening, they're taking advice. Yeah, that's that's great I'm to impressed. hear. So, yeah, so um, so all that aside, uh, waterproofs. Well, well, hang on, Graham. <laughs> can you stand up, please, and come up to the front of the class here while you speak? <laughs> now you're nervous he'd be used to that as a kid I'm sure yeah I'll bet he was <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what have I got to say nothing really I'd rather not wear them I'd rather go out when it's dry <laughs> <laughs> I think Graham's well, attitude is my skin's waterproof <laughs> well actually um, I, I find it all, all after all these miles I find it very hard when I'm packing to co- comprehend any other weather condition than the one I'm actually packing in. <laughs> you have that same thing too. We have it. We run into that all the time when we're traveling. We're packing for somewhere else and it's winter here. So, but I'm going to South Africa. Wait a minute. I don't need to take the heavy jumper and and the, and all the rest of that stuff. I don't need it, but I do need my sandals. But trying to keep my head wrapped around that is really hard. Yeah, trying to think it might get cold or wet later. And as a matter of fact, I'm getting on a flight tomorrow, one of these budget European airlines, um, Ryanair, and I've got to wear my bike jacket with both liners in it, the thermal liner and the waterproof liner, and I've got to wear my motorcycle boots on there because that's the only way I'll get in under the, the luggage restrictions. So I'm going to be <laughs> yeah. sitting like I'm ready for a crash on the aeroplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, being Ryanair, you might need to sit like that. I don't know. Oh, well, it's good for your posture. I mean, that up <laughs> I pity the we person sitting next to you too. in all that jacket. That would be me mum. <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor mum. Are you going to wear your crash helmet, Graham? Because I always get a bit nervous about that because, you know, the width restrictions on um, the hand luggage, it's always about two or three centimetres narrower than your, your crash helmet is. And I'm, I swear, I'll tell you what, I'm ready. If, if anybody resu- refuses to let my hand luggage on, I'm just going to say I'm going to wear my hat then. Solve yeah, the problem. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Totally agree. You're with right. You. It, it doesn't squeeze in the little cage, and I, I nope. keep it. I've got a, a dry bag, and it fits in the dry bag, and it looks, the dry bag looks small, 
against some of the other people with their check-in or their carry-on luggage. But actual fact, if they maybe put it in the cage, like you say, it wouldn't fit. So, um, yeah, so I wouldn't be opposed to wearing it. It's only a two-and-a-half-hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> and it would give the other passengers so much comfort to see someone sitting there wearing a crash helmet. <laughs> and actual fact. Definitely I get a selfie if you're doing that. Yeah. Get a oh, selfie yes, for please. sure. <laughs> Yeah. Just think about the fun you can have when the plane banks because you can lean right over and be right in it. <laughs> <laughs> when they say, will all passengers please listen to the safety session and say, actually, I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm prepared. So, Graham, you never did tell us about your waterproofness. I was just listening to the advice of others. I should probably take it. I, I, I get wet so often, whether I've got inner liners, whether I've got outer waterproofs. Whether I go off in the dry, I haven't really got any good advice to offer on waterproofs. Just listen to what the others said, really. Well, there you have it. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because Alberto put in there a plastic poncho or a large garbage bag. Clearly, he wrote that in because this is something he's tried or considered trying. But nobody mentioned those things. I no, have I've seen it done. But no thanks. <laughs> I have travelled hey. with a poncho and. Um, because it's, like Sam said, one of those things that has multiple uses. And I remember waiting for a ferry from Ukraine to Russia, and it was pissing rain. And I had it over me and over most of my bike, and it was just dripping off, off the hood, sort of down my face. And it was a miserable two hours waiting for this ferry. But it was it, it was very useful at that time. So uh, uh, not so good if you're doing 70 miles an hour, but stationary <laughs> and exposed, it, it does, does have its uses. I kind of, I kind of riding, envisage the, the Batman tune going on in the background when you're riding wearing a poncho. <laughs> yeah, I found anything over 20 miles an hour and it's hopeless. You start ending up yeah. wearing bungee cords to keep it in shape. Hey, we were riding fun. through Vietnam and uh, the guys that were with us, um, uh, some Vietnamese guys, they uh, actually used uh, plastic bags and they put them over their runners because runners aren't very waterproof and duct tape and just uh, put the plastic bags over their, their runners, duct taped around it, and away we went. They were fine. Yeah. As long as you got but a roll of duct tape. They were wearing the old safety sneakers oh, yeah, yeah. riding a motorbike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't go there. We rode for years without waterproof boots and um, plastic bags were our friend. But mm. we yeah. did tend to actually put them inside rather than on the outside. We tried the outside. <laughs> Got in a bit of a flap over it. Inside's better. I remember that. Yeah. Keeps your feet your feet feel dry as long as you don't get too sweaty and hot. If it's in Vietnam, <laughs> it might be very sweaty. Yeah, that's right. But uh, it was bloody cold. Mekong Delta, yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, it, it, up near supper, it's freezing cold. But um, one of the other things about waterproof gear, one of the hardest things is keeping your bloody hands dry. Mm. Even a waterproof gloves, you find the membranes break down really quickly in them. So um, I was just yesterday looking at uh, some overgloves to, to, to buy, which are light, um, bruisably cheap, and as long as you can get the tactile feel, they're not too bad. You're trying the two-fingered ones. You get ones with no. a thumb and two fingers instead of four fingers, and they're a lot drier. Mitts I've, are I've better, tried, but I've, they're not as good for riding. 
I've tried them, Grant. I just can't. I'd prefer to have wet hands and have more control. I just can't handle them. I don't like them at all. Well, I've sort of given over to the fact that I'm just going to get wet hands. I mean, and and, it, and I don't like it at all. No. Not like not the least bit because the gloves I have now, when I pull my hands out, the liner comes out, and, and the wetter I get, the more impossible it is to get it back in. But I've tried the. Um, I was going to mention I tried the like a like a dishwashing glove before. You know, the, the great big one that comes part way up your arm. I mean, it, it works, but it doesn't fit well. It, but it certainly keeps your hands it's dry. Sexy. <laughs> it, yeah. it cuts off the circulation for me. Life. I've tried that a few times too, and yeah. I just found after a while I was losing the blood out of my fingers. But I do find that customs officers at border crossings are very handy. They always have a supply of sur- surgical gloves on on hand. Yeah. Oh. Oh, don't go there, Graham. Warning, warning. It's kind of odd hearing Brian say, "Don't go there. Yeah. Don't go there." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely not. Uh, I just wanted to say that you can have dry hands. I've got a pair of gloves that I've had for, mm, must be pushing 10 years, waterproof gloves, and they are absolutely 100% totally waterproof. I've never had a drop of water inside. They're absolutely amazing, but they're stupendously expensive. And I think that's the trade-off you make on gear. You can buy something that seems, oh, that's waterproof. It says it's waterproof. It should be waterproof. It's supposed to be waterproof. It's Gore-Tex. It should be waterproof. And it's a sensible price, so you buy them, and they're not waterproof. But if you spend enough money... Grant, I've only ever yeah, had one pair yeah. of gloves that were waterproof, and I bought those from um, Lidl in the UK, and they cost me £14.99, and I didn't <laughs> expect them to be waterproof. And they stayed waterproof for about five years, and I was gutted when they stopped being waterproof because, hey, I don't have £200 to buy a pair of waterproof gloves. Yeah, most of us don't. I, I had a pair of, um, I'll have to say a brand name here, Rucka, waterproof gloves given to me 10 years ago and Susan's got a pair as well and they've both been absolutely dry for the entire time and we've ridden for days non-stop rain we rode across Canada a number of years ago we had three days of non-stop bucketing rain absolutely bouncing off the roof just crazy rain and we were both absolutely dry so it can be done I don't have waterproof gloves but I get Brian to stand up a little bit and I put my hands on his seat and he sits on my hands and that keeps them dry and warm <laughs> I think we need to not go there too <laughs> I was oh, refraining I, I was just thinking about a comeback for that but <laughs> well Brian, just to scoot away from that one then let's go right on into our first main topic which is uh, top tips for your first adventure motorcycle trip. Now, I know that's probably tough for you guys to remember, but try to try to think of the people who haven't done it before. What are the, some of those basic things that maybe you do that you um, you don't even think about? You know, maybe um, we're talking about, uh, it could be anything at all, but some of the examples that we had was, you know, fuel, dealing with fuel in, in different countries, especially for people who have premium fuel, uh, currency, um, distance, how much should you ride in a day? Um, spares, as in sunglasses, glasses, keys, etc. Oh, okay then. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Shirley got in there first. That's okay. Well, tell you what. No, I'll no, go Graham, first you do because, the, you do the, um, someone do the blokey stuff, and I'll do the girly stuff. Oh, I'll do the blokey stuff. Cool. What up, love? You look lovely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sam. Why don't you? Why don't you go first? <laughs> Okay, I'll do my starting off off trip thing. And obviously this is a huge subject, but um, when you said that, uh, first thing that came to my head was 
And we touched on this a little bit on the live show, the last episode, when we were allowed to take three tools, which was, which was a stupid bloody subject. But um, what I was thinking was when I prepared for my trip um, and I was preparing the KLR, this may sound anal, but it worked brilliant. In the front of the manual, every single tool I would use, the 10 meter. 10 millimeter socket, 12 millimeter socket, the open-ended spanner. I just made a list of every tool I was using as I was preparing the bike. And then when it was time to prepare the tool kit, I had written down all the tools I'd used. So I didn't take anything unnecessary and I knew all the ones I needed. So that was one bit of preparation that uh, paid back well. Yeah, I do the same thing. I work out of my toolkit for the bike as 90% of the time. But one of the things that you were talking about, Jim, was um, fuel. And what it's like, especially for people who ride bikes that take premium, well, to a certain extent, I've got no knowledge of this because um, my 92R rated GS will just about run on anything. But, you know, going into Egypt, for example, um, the, the, the petrol was 78 octane and less. So, of course, the bike pinks like crazy. But I had been advised to put some plates um, on the, um, between the cylinders and the engine block. So that um, increased, um, I don't know what the technical phrase for this is, Brian or Grant will be able to say, because... Um, um, but anyway, it, it, it's, it really helps stop the pinking. And I found that pulling um, away less quickly and allowing the bike to cool more often really helped with dealing with the lower fuels. But, you know, how's a, um, a bike that needs to have premium going to, to deal with that? Because, you know, in, in often countries, um, the fuel um, octane is around 87 or 88. And I've been in places um, where you, you pump fuel into your petrol tank and all of a sudden, you realise that you've got water sitting in the bottom of, of it, or the last fill-up gave you um, a, a stack of um, rust in your water. Well, you know, I, like I mentioned before one time that um, I always use socks and, and a stocking. Yes, of course, I carry stockings. Um, not actually, why well, I have a girlfriend. Um, but um, I did find in one or two places that um, um, they would have um, a little stash of higher grade fuel for important people. And if you made friends with them, um, and I'm talking remote places, then quite often um, for the exchange of a price of beer or something like that, then they would give you some some higher grade fuel. Um, so I can't help with bikes that take premium. Um, I just put the best that I possibly can and make sure that I filter it as, as well as I can. And one of my concerns with um, fuel injection is how these bikes are going to cope with dodgy fuel some friends of mine headed off across um, russia on fuel injected bikes and they made it about 400 miles in and all of a sudden the fuel injection systems had got clogged up and they ended up um, finishing their trip because of it so that's one of the reasons why i stick with my um old bmw because you know she just deals with this sort of stuff so well and accessing carburetors is a darn sight easier than trying to sort out a fuel injection system and the other thing is, even if you if you have to find, if you've got no choice but to get some 80-grade fuel or something, you don't have to fill the tank right up because chances are that that's a stopgap between the next sizable town where you might be able to get something better. So if you've only got half a tank of it, when you do get to a place where you can get better fuel, it does sort of, what's the opposite to dilute? It improves the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the standard of the fuel. So you're not running on a full tank of that rubbish. Yep. Yeah, well, Sounds. that's exactly right. I'll, I've, I've ridden uh, my injected bike, Sam, uh, across through there, across through around Pakistan, all those sorts of places. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the bike detunes and runs a little bit rough. But I found, found no problem. Um, I did have a spare injector with me just in case, but no need to change it. Um, and I, I think nowadays 
um, you just and, and, and Graham's right. You just watch where you um, fuel up, and, um, and you know we were running on about eighty octane at some po- some points. And as soon as I saw good fuel, I'd top up better fuel, better fuel, better fuel. And when I got home, I blasted some good fuel through the bike and uh, hammered it. Uh, and the performance is uh, uh, no problem, no problem at all. <laughs> but, you uh, can just imagine the yeehaw expression on your face when you're hammering it, Brian. <laughs> and and it's for a technical yeah. reason, you, you have to do it in order to make sure the bike runs properly. You're not doing it because it's fun. No, not of at course all. not. No. I'll, I'll take the second option. <laughs> Sam, but, the, the plates but, that you're um, talking about putting in the head, that's to lower the compression ratio. Did you actually do that? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes, I did, and it made a big difference. Yeah, well, it would for yeah, power would. as well, but I mean, yeah, I, I guess it would, but that's that's a pretty extensive thing. Easy for you because you're on the R80, but um, most other bikes, it would be quite a job. And yeah, yeah. I'll, I think don't even it, think it for modern bikes. Yeah. With fuel-injected bikes, uh, with um, can you adjust it so that it copes with worse quality fuel and so on? Because I've never ridden one. I don't know about this sort of thing. They, 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 there is a, um, a chip you can put in them to detune them, um, uh, with the through by the computers, I have never bothered with it. I just thought it was a it was a bit of um, a bit of a sales pitch, and I think I'm pretty right with that. Um, and uh, you, you just be careful with your bike. But look, getting back to the topic, that I think um, you know one of the most important things for your first motorcycle trip is don't set yourself any boundaries. Don't say I'm going to do 400 k's every day. And I have the right mindset. I think the mindset is far more important. Everything else falls into place. You know, even if yeah. you take too much, discard it as you're going along. You know, that sort of stuff. Your first trip, I think it's it's more important that you get your head right. I can remember when we did our first trip, Shirley was a, a bit anal about having to book a room everywhere. And, you know, you, you soon learn, lose that mindset. And when you do, your trip becomes so much more pleasant. Yeah, uh, let it happen. It'll it'll come. It'll sort just, itself Just let out. it happen. You know. Okay. Yeah. You might be missing a tool. You might be missing a ten mil spanner. Well, you know, there's shops where you can buy that stuff if you need it, and eventually you'll work it out as you go along. You know, it, yeah, you, no one, no change. one gets, no one gets it perfect first, first, uh, first up. Well, we Ever. still don't have it perfect. Every you trip we will. do, we yeah. always post yeah, stuff. There'll, there'll be something. There'll be something that you don't don't need. Yeah, it's inevitable too. I've seen uh, lots of people do a lot of trips, and it's really interesting. Sometimes they'll post their their packing list when they head off, and occasionally I can talk them into posting their packing list at the end of the trip. It's quite amazing the difference in the change. A lot of stuff that they started with is either binned or replaced with something cheaper or simpler or less complicated, Um, just less mostly. The, The list is always much shorter. Grant, I should send you the list out of the back of Distant Suns, my, you know, my book, Distant Suns, because I put in the list there of everything that we started off with. And exactly right, a lot of the stuff that just went along the way, not only because we used it and then couldn't replace it, but mostly because we were just thinking, actually, why are we carrying this stuff? We'll never use it. There is no point. And if something does go wrong and we would have needed whatever it might be, we'll find somebody who can we can work with to get the situation sorted out. And you always do. Yeah, I think the, the yeah. thing that we always forget was when we were, we're heading off is that we're actually going to be on a road and the road exists because people drive down the road. So there's always somebody and they need the same kind of stuff we do. It may not be our favorite toothpaste, but gee, you can actually buy toothpaste. So you don't need to take four tubes of your favorite. 
know, everything is available. If the weather changes and it's now it's really cold and nasty, well, guess what? You don't need to carry a giant jumper around the world because you can buy one where it gets cold. So oh, and that's sometimes part of the joy of coming back and using something. Oh, remember we bought that in you know, wherever. It brings back memories of the trip. Yeah, absolutely. People go way over-prepared. I think that's probably my, the number one thing that I can pass on is that everybody is over-prepared. I do it every time I go. I've got too much stuff. We all do it. We want to be prepared. But we can travel with a whole lot less than we think we can because everything we want to buy or think we need along the way, we can buy along the way. You can buy local stuff that's appropriate for the local conditions. It's just not a problem. There is one thing on the list that um, I think you do need to think about and be prepared about, and that's spares that don't relate to the motorcycle. I can't read without my glasses, so I yeah. always carry a spare of, a spare pair of prescription glasses. They just live in the bottom of my pannier in a hard case because if I lost my glasses and they actually did fly out of my motorbike pocket <laughs> um, jacket pocket one day when Brian was having one of his moments, and um, <laughs> I, I would have been lost. Without them, I, the trip would have been absolutely cactus after that. And the other thing we always – I have a set of keys for the bike and so does Brian. Yes. We, and we absolutely. keep them them separately. So those things that don't actually relate to keeping the bike – well, the keys relate to keeping it going. But those things you really need – that they're not going to be so easy to replace on the road. Yeah. There's actually a little law in Spain, if you, maybe France too, I'm not sure. Um, if you don't, if you are required to wear glasses for driving, you have to have a spare required with you. Correct. Okay. That's a good idea with you. Yeah. I think it's, it's not a bad idea. Um, so that's something to think about too. Yes. Bureaucrats shutting us for money, putting the, putting legislation, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't tell anybody in Australia about that one. eh? No, please. (laughs) Are you going to say Graham? Oh, yeah, spare set of keys is a really good – it's so easy to go to your local key shop and get duplicates or even triplicates of them all. And I have them – I'm not going to say where, but stashed around the motorcycle because a lost key, which does happen, can be so traumatic. But if you've just – if you've got another one somewhere, that it just means it's a non-event. Losing the key is a non-event. That's a very handy tip, definitely. And, And the other thing is I've spent a summer now of watching people come through on their trips through motor camp. And I do have to keep my mouth shut amazingly um, because it's their trip. And all the, I mean, despite the experience I have, it's still my opinion. And I just think I, I'll let them do what they want to do. And there was a couple recently, maybe it was my end of year rant, and I got involved in their trip because there were some things that it was so easy from my perspective to see that they were destination driven. They were going doing it all for the wrong reasons. And eventually I did get involved and say, look, have you considered this? Have you considered that? Oh, we have them. But now we have anyway. They have changed all their plans. God, I hope it's going to work for them because it was sort of on my suggestion. And then they finally, um, it's a very long story and uh, I, I'm not going to tell their names. But anyway, when they finally, I was leaving, a, I've been very transient lately. I was leaving to go to England uh, last week or the week before. And they just came around to say goodbye. And I was manically going around, turning off electricity, unplugging water pumps and doing all the stuff you do when you're about to leave your house. And they just came around to say goodbye. Thanks for the information. See you when our paths cross again. And I said, what happened with the, the news on your bike? Oh, well, they're not going to honour the warranty and we're not sure what we're going to do. And we're probably just going to take them back to the UK. And I said, okay, one other thing. 
ditch those bikes. You're on the wrong bikes. <laughs> and I, I never normally get involved, but that's all I'm going to say. That's everything now. <laughs> yeah, so, Graham, you were totally you, discreet then. Well, it was just, I don't know whether it was an end of season rant or what it was, but the, the point I wanted to make is, um, despite us sitting here with all our experience and all our advice, it's really only suggestions because we all learnt the hard way and it's, it's um, uh, yeah, take some spare keys for sure. But, you know, it's, yeah. um, it, it's your own trip. Yeah, some yeah, of the modern bikes with antennas in their keys are a real problem. You can't just get them made at the local place. You've got to order them from BMW or Ducati or whoever else you're dealing with. And uh, so trying to get the, one of those replaced in the middle of nowhere is a real problem. I carry three, one stashed on the bike, one on me, and Susan's got one, so just to make sure. But I was going to disagree with your statement about the wrong bike. I really cringe when I hear that. It's, it's not the wrong bike. It's the bike you like. And if you're happy with it and if it does what you want for your trip and it works for you, then it's the right bike. There's no such thing yeah, but that's as the, the wrong problem. Bike. It wasn't working for them. It wasn't working for them when they were the wrong people. I can't name names and I can't name brands, but it was the <laughs> wrong combination. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I know people who've been around the world on Harley Electric Glide, so. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be fine. Just, I would never criticize anyone for doing that, but this was worse. <laughs> worse than an R1? Just, just Oh, even I, I, I can't do it. You got me on a subject. I cannot name brands, but you've just <laughs> honestly, if you'd have seen it, if you'd have seen the combination and I can't do it, I can't say it. I can't say it. But if you'd have seen the combination, you would be agreeing with me. Trust me, you would. What color were they? <laughs> <laughs> what were they wearing? <laughs> hey, Graham, how much whiskey have you had so far? Because this might get dangerous if you've had half a bottle. Oh, of enough wine. to be diplomatic, Sam, I tell you. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> but, but, you know, sort of to your point, Graham, what you're saying, sometimes, now I'm not saying in this particular case, but sometimes things we do, it's it, ignorance is bliss. You know, you go out and do it and, you, and you'll look back on it later and go, well, if I, if I knew then what I know now, I never would have done that. But boy, am I glad that I did it. Because you have stories yes. and the experience and you've learned the hard way and the lessons you learn the hard way are always the ones that stick. Yeah, exactly. When, when I was going down through Africa for the first time, one of my panniers was full of spare parts, absolutely full of spare parts. And um, most of these I never used for myself, but I made an awful lot of friends of other riders who were looking for spare parts in the middle of Africa. And I got the reputation, oh, we need a spare part. Fine, Sam, he's going to be carrying it. And most of the time <laughs> I did. I'm still, still in touch with some of those people. It's really nice. <laughs> well, were I you going to retort there, Graham? Graham? Did you say Graham or Grant? Graham, I said, Graham. were you going to retort there? Oh, nothing. I've decided I'm going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, no that's not what this is all about. We're that all friends It's really here. important to me that it's really important to me that Jim edits this episode quickly because I've got a plug that is important that it gets out by the fifteenth of October. So the more I swear and the more controversial things I say, the longer it's going to take him to edit it, and then my plug's not going to be relevant. <laughs> you are so self-centered. <laughs> I can't believe it. Well, you, yeah. you've now got a deadly, deadline date there, Jim. Yeah, uh, I know he was yep. pushing I'm, before I'm we be started recording this episode. What's, what I was going to say, I wanted actually a little bit later for the same reason. <laughs> Great, being tugged in both directions. I, I was going to ask Graham what the uh, well, your birthday's coming up, isn't it? Oh, well remembered, Jim. Thank you. It's so thoughtful. And, and when is your birthday? It's uh, it's the sixteenth of October. Sixteenth of October. <laughs> so um, you're actually the youngest one here. 
Am I? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm in July. Oh, right. Cause, so you're 51 now. Should be, I guess. Yeah, 51. <laughs> you you okay, should bask well, okay. in this, Graham, because really, I mean, how often are you going to ever find this? Um, well, <laughs> only at the hotel I stayed in in Hungary, but yeah, generally not very often. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> pulling us right back to the topic, tips for the first motorcycle adventure. There's got to be just gobs and gobs of them. Those are some great ones. Anyone else with something that really um, that you really think you're you're passionate about? Uh, the biggest one for me is plan for left mileage. And I see so many people heading off and they're doing ridiculous miles and trying to go too far. And they set themselves huge goals uh, because they're used to riding around Europe or the UK or USA or something. And the 500 mile, 600 mile day is no big deal. But you get to Africa, South America, Asia, any of those places and 600 mile day is huge. And you just can't do that kind of mileage and what's the point if you're just going to ride 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 you're not getting to stop and you're not seeing things you're not meeting people you're not seeing what's going on and you're working hard to ride i remember one guy rode in on the hub and he said i don't know how you guys do these long trips i've been riding for traveling for three months now i'm halfway down africa and i want to go home i'm burned out he says, how do you do it he says well when was the last time you took a day off day off I ha I've been riding every day you're crazy <laughs> you just can't do that you've got to take time off I always tell people you've got to take a vacation from the vacation because traveling and riding it's work it's, it takes energy it takes uh, mental stress and it wears you out you, you need to take some breaks and relax and do a lot less miles you cut your mileage in half or less you'll be a much happy camper at the end of the trip that That's was the, the point other thing I was making, I was... Uh, Grant, was about you know, getting your mindset right and just uh, going yep. with the flow a bit and settling down. But I, you know, we, I can remember bumping into a father and son couple who were living their dream of riding high bikes down through Patagonia. And uh, we were crunching along Carrera Australia and came across this beautiful river and they were on the other side of the, the river. So we pulled up and had a chat. And they were exhausted because they'd set themselves such a short time frame with these uh, high bikes that they mm -hmm. had to make make time and uh, to get to the end point. And uh, um, you know they, they they were envious of us just uh, tracking along doing our thing. So I really think when you start on a journey like this, you're all excited and you mm -hmm. want to crunch out big miles and but you know you must slow down you must take your time and, and see what the world has to offer I had another mate a, a bloke that we met who we, we assisted um, get on the road and um, he was wanting to travel at a zillion miles an hour at the time and sure enough came to grief in South America and um, ripped his bike apart and very lucky that he and his girlfriend didn't uh, end up with more serious injuries but the that literally the uh, front of the bike separated from the rest of the bike um, mm. when they came to grief, you know, and it was just bound to happen. You could see it happening. The uh, that whole being destination driven is 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 another thing that so many people are, and I've also found it's very hard to possibly suggest to someone that they are destination driven and they are doing it too quickly it's so hard to suggest that less is more and all those countries on their list don't necessarily have to be ticked off this trip and i've got a few nice little examples i give about how i went to mexico three times before i made it to uh, 
to Belize or to um, to Guatemala because I like Mexico so much. And not everybody has the ability to have that time frame or to be able to sort of keep doing things like that. But it is probably, as Grant says, that the single worst thing you can do is be destination driven and head to get that whole list checked off. It's not a failure if you don't do it. It's a failure if you've gone through all these countries and not seen anything. Yeah. yeah. Totally yeah. agree. You know, if, if somebody, for, for my mind, if somebody's setting off on a big trip, you know, let's just assume um, an overlanding trip's happening and they've got a year to go and do it. Fantastic. What joy in front. But people tend to, because of the excitement, they tend to race through um, the first weeks and in part because they're still on Western must do it today, preferably yesterday mindset. And I try and say to people, look, for the first six weeks, do no more than 100 miles a day. And make sure that you stop every time you see something that looks interesting. Stop and look at it. Because within that first six weeks, you can actually change your mindset so that you do take it more gently. It's just like building up a new routine, isn't it? And that six-week yeah. period, right at the beginning of the trip, seems to be so important for me. You know, I was going to ask Making about this because in de- when it comes to destinations, I mean, I- I've even heard everybody here that's talking now sort of joke about people who have maybe went almost to, to a certain destination or a certain place that everyone goes to and then sort of think it was crazy that they didn't go that extra distance for whatever reason. Uh, don't you guys, I mean, from what, what you're saying right now, it sounds like everybody agrees with the fact that you shouldn't be chasing those destinations. In other words, if, if you go to South America, maybe you don't make it to Ushuaia. Maybe you turn around just before that. Is that really a big deal? Have you really missed that much by not going to these places that everyone puts pictures up on and marks down as, as their waypoints? No, absolutely not, because it's all of the things along the way. It's not the destinations. It's the stuff in the middle that makes a, makes a, a journey. You know, Birgit and I um, were riding through um, North America aiming for um, Alaska, but we got stuck on a vineyard for six weeks, and our time to get to Alaska was eaten away with drinking excellent wine and helping out some people who were in trouble. And we had a phenomenal time. And no, we didn't make it to Alaska, but my goodness, the whole journey up until the point where we decided, actually, no, there's snow on the ground in front. We're stupid if we go any further, um, was awesome. And one day we'll go back to Alaska. I totally agree with what Graham just said. You can rush through and all you do is you knacker your body and you wear your grey cells out and you don't see anything. You don't see any of the joy. You just deal with border crossings and finding hotels in grotty parts of town and all of the, the harder things of over landing and um, where have you got time for the joy see this kind of happened to us this summer elizabeth and i took off with our, our plan to head to, to the yukon and so we, we sort of had our goals set out in advance and, and a fairly good plan on what we were doing but boy once we started going the plan just sort of fell apart as far as you know how far we were going to get and we started finding stuff that was interesting spending way longer than what we ever imagined we we're going to spend in particular places in the end i mean we never did get to the yukon but it didn't bother us we sat down and talked about it in depth and we, we have absolutely zero regrets for not making the the distance that we thought we were going to make we certainly covered actually the the mileage we we thought we were going to do overall, but not not actually the destination. But we weren't bothered at all. And I got thinking, am I missing something here? Do I see this different than anyone else? It, it had no effect on me whatsoever to not reach the destination that I originally planned. But Jim, I think that there are some realities that involved, which um, as, as far as planning a trip is concerned. And you've got things like the length of your visa. So you've got to work out your rough mileage um, if you want to go th- across a country and into another one. And, you know, that's your general sort of relax, but that's your target. Well, your visa is going to dictate to a certain extent how many miles you've got to do in a day. Um, 
what the weather's doing is also going to, you know, we've been in places where we've known the rainy season is about to hit big time. And if we don't get a move on and we don't cover some miles for a couple of weeks, then we're going to spend two or three weeks riding in wet misery. So I think there are times where you just need to crack on because, you know, of that sort of thing. But mostly, no, enjoy, stop, smell the roses, um, talk to people. That's, that's, yeah, that's where all of the really buzzy stuff comes from. Yeah, and certainly our this. last trip was weather dependent. We had to get to Vladivostok before winter, before autumn, really, before it started to get very cold yeah. and, and um, bad weather in Siberia. So in those cases, uh, well, and sometimes you just have to cut bits out of your trip. Yeah, but Don't stay as long in some that, places or miss out on a town or two. But then also it was visa-driven too. And yes. you know, most people take two-entry two, uh, visa into Russia and we knew that we were going to take a bit of time and see a bit, uh, a bit of the place. So we took a three-entry uh, visa, which is more expensive, but that's what we wanted to do. We knew, you know, you can go straight across the Trans-Siberian if you want to, and you'll get there pretty quick. Well, we, I think we tripled the distance of the Trans-Siberian road because of the little um, detours we made into different parts of the world. So you can pre-plan those things a little, but I understand what Graeme, uh, Sam's saying about... Um, yes, yeah, sometimes you are driven to uh, to get to a certain destination because of those things that happen on the road. And look, that's inevitable in some cases, but I really believe the mindset of slowing down and smelling the roses is the best option when you first start off. Yeah, and a tip on uh, visas, no matter how quickly you think you're going to do it, like lots of times you'll arrive at a border and they'll ask you, um, how long do you want for your visa? And if you're only planning on being there for a week or two, most people say, well, two weeks, that's plenty. No, you always ask, what's the longest I can stay in your lovely country? I really want to spend some time here and enjoy it. Get the longest you can, because even if you leave early, so what? It doesn't cost you anything extra, usually, although I know the Russian visa is more expensive for multiple entries. But even there, having that extra cushion to be able to deal with falling down and breaking a leg, um, having a problem with the bike, just dealing with things, or, gee, this place is really wonderful, or you find a wonderful vineyard and want to spend some time there. Give yourself all possible options. Give yourself Grant, you are so, so right. I'm absolutely, totally in agreement with you. And the other thing is, when you get given your visa, actually check what they do give you. Um, I went into Uganda... And, yep. and they said, um, how long would you like? And I said, oh, three months, because um, I knew that was the maximum I could have. So, yeah, no problem. Bang, bang, bang in my passport. Um, six weeks later, I was completely distracted and having a brilliant time. And I just happened to look in my passport. They'd only given me six weeks. I was now illegal in the country. And that was one of the times <laughs> I got arrested in Africa because I was a complete numpty. I didn't check. How stupid. Yeah. Well, also, the other one that people miss on is sometimes when your bike gets stamped into the country, it has a visa expiration date, too, and they don't necessarily give the bike the same expiration as you have. Yeah, Azerbaijan is a classic example of that. (laughs) You get three days in Azerbaijan for your vehicle, and you get 30 days for you. (laughs) I got caught out on that one. (laughs) Yep, lots of people do. There was a guy that got caught on that in Guatemala, and it ended up costing him $6,000 to get his bike back. What are you supposed to do then? How do you get around the three-day limit for your bike? Too bad. You get out after three days. Well, you you either argue and try and get more, or or you get out, one or the other. 
Yep. Are, are these rules yep. hard and Definitely. fast? Uh, like when you get to the border and they do that, are they always hard and fast? You, you know, if they say that three months is the maximum they'll give you, uh, because Grant, you just said that you can ask, you know, how long can I stay in your, in your beautiful country? Is that, is there a chance that you can get more time than what is allowed? No, no, it'll always be a certain maximum time, but make sure you a know what the maximum time is and get the maximum time and make sure that your bike is also legal for that amount of time. Those in are, some countries you can go to the police in some countries you can go to the police or the immigration officers and get an extension on your visa. Yes, yes. Do do ask at the border if you can get an extension once you're in. They'll offer an occasion in the United the United States of America is a classic example. You know, you can't stay more than six months in the U.S. for Australian citizens, and that includes Mexico and Canada. So there's yes. no, you can't enter twice. Yes. Wow. It's to stop you crossing the border and getting coming back in and getting another n- another right. period of time. Yeah, and certainly not in places like Canada and, and, and the states. But there are some countries where occasionally they put a special man on the borders, and that special man has the authority with the passing of some money to give you a little bit longer than you originally had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have those special men when you come into this country. No. The, uh, the trick that I hear occasionally happens in Russia is that they neglect to stamp your passport correctly on entry. And when you leave, you don't have the correct stamp. So therefore, you have to go back to your point of entry to get the correct stamp so that you can leave. Does everybody know what that really means? It means I want a big bribe to let you go. Yeah, they it's do that. It's more donations to their family's Christmas, really. Yes, that's a, that's a better way to phrase it. Yeah. Donations are more more likely in uh, Central America, we think. Yeah. We have nothing but really good uh, assistance from the border guards at, uh, in Russia. Um, one, one guard would cross, uh, one place would cross in um, Russia. They'd taken... Um, a piece of paper that was essential for us to clear the bike out. And uh, when we were crossing into Mongolia, the, the, the border guard there said, where's that piece of paper? And I said, well, they took it at the, the crossing in Kazakhstan. Ah, oh, the Kazakhs, they got no bloody idea. Come in here. And he, he sat me down at the computer and uh, we filled out a new one with a statutory declaration. No problem. No Big problem. improvement. So, they didn't used to do that. Oh, they yeah. used to say, how much? Yeah, no, 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 no. We we had nothing but good um, good experiences. Mm. Graham, you had something fantastic to hear. Grandma. Oh, Graham, I still struggle. I said, hey, what you what what? what no. You always say it's like you're saying Grant. Sorry, and I've read it for you, Jim. <laughs> That's why Brits call me Graham all the time. I keep getting this Graham or Brent for Grant. I don't know what it is, <laughs> Brent. <laughs> No, I've got nothing to say. I'd butt in if I did. <laughs> I thought you did. <laughs> what about currency? We didn't really talk about currency. Any tips for that? Because that, that's a big deal. You know, so cash, credit card, debit card, currency, you know, what, what do you take? And obviously we don't hide it with our batteries. Uh, you got to you got to carry the mighty greenback. The, the, the US dollar bills uh, is the currency of the world. Always carry some spare ones. And always car- carry new notes and um, lower denomination. Yes. Yeah. But a lot of countries, the, no, and a lot of countries, if you've got an old um, US dollar, which should certainly be um, valid, um, uh, they won't accept, won't accept it. it. That's true. No. And uh, if there's also, a slight tear or a mark or, or somebody's yeah. drawn on it with a pen or a pencil or anything yeah. else yeah. like that, it's it's not acceptable. Yeah. And if you know, know your, know your uh, rates when you cross borders, because uh, nine times out of 10, 
um, the money chain exchanges at the borders give you a better rate than the banks will. Uh, but you, you can always get money out of ATMs using your, your credit card from home um, with that no problem. But we always try and get some at the border crossings from the money changes. We'll work that out and we might get $50 or something like that um, just to see us through. Um, so really, currencies nowadays is not that much of a problem. Just I would strongly suggest you know your, your rates before you cross the border and know what you're going to exchange. Has yeah, no one run into has, problems uh, with Sorry, has no one run into problems with them, um, depending on uh, ATM machines, to get cash out? Are, are they everywhere now? Just about. Pretty Rand much. doesn't have any. No. No, they're not. You can still go into lots of smaller towns and villages and things like that more off the beaten track and you won't find anything. So in some countries, yeah, it's the main towns. So if you're going to yeah. go way off the beaten track, then um, you've got to take a fair amount of, of local currency with you. But um, if if you work your way through that and you can't replenish it, then having um, a stock of um, dollars uh, makes infinite sense. And just going back to what Brian was saying, um, I quite often found that um, the money changes on, in the country that you're just about to leave will give you a better rate on the currency for the country that you're just going into than you'll get from the guys when you actually arrive in the country. And the reason for that is because they've bought up currency from people who are leaving and who haven't done it, and all of a sudden they've just got to get rid of it. But the key, as Brian said, is to find out what the exchange rate is. So when you're dealing with these guys, you know exactly what the score is and you know, you're, you're not being ripped off. But you know, as far as credit cards are concerned, debit cards, they're vital. And you do find them all over the place now, except for in the more remote places. But for me, the key is to have a card where you don't get a commission charged uh, Ed March told me about one um, just yesterday, funnily enough, um, and it is called, hang on a second, where have I Surely listed knows. that? Um, what is it, Shirley? Well, there's one here that you can get, which is a 28 degrees card, and they don't charge for foreign exchange. Right. The one that I was talking about is called um, Revolut, um, and you can just go to the website, revolut.com, and there's all sorts of advantages to use this. But we have a credit card from um, our bank at home, and there's no charges for using it overseas. And I don't understand why people don't do that if they've got an option. Maybe it's just that until they listen to Adventure Rider Radio Raw or Lock on Horizons Unlimited, they don't know. <laughs> can you do it without a credit card? Sure, you can carry lots of cash. Oh, you <laughs> where you're likely to get, you know, if you if you get robbed or lose some of your luggage, you're going to lose your cash. And if you have an emergency, a credit card will get you out of hell of a lot of strife. And what yeah, about a debit get card? A jail free card. If you need an emergency flight home or something for whatever reason, a credit card yep. is your peace of mind, your backup. I think. Yep. I think if if you've got the ability to apply and own a credit card, then you should take one. Yeah, I think. And there are several. still countries. There are still countries in the world which want to see proof that you are financially viable before they'll let you in. And it used to be traveler's checks, and now it's a credit card. If you've got a credit card, yeah, okay, bank finish, done. Yeah. But if you haven't got one, then you've got to be digging out all of your, your stash of US dollars from all of the various different places before they let you in. And there are yeah, countries want to see in the world where you have to declare when you go into a country how much you're taking in and declare how much you've taken out when you leave the country so they can see that you haven't been working on the black market. So that's a trap for young players in certain places too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, meaning that you don't want to say you've got more money in your pocket when you're leaving. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and they, they quite often check you. They quite often yeah, check yeah. you. Uh, going um, into in and out of Uzbekistan, um, they're very strict on foreign currency, and you have to declare what you've got 
when you go in, declare what you've got when you leave, and they they have been known to actually ask to see the currency. So if you've been there for a couple of weeks and you're leaving with more US dollars, it means you're taking their valuable US dollars out of the country. So you, you have to be can careful get US dollars because, through some of their ATMs. So you have to be careful there because if you say you have a certain amount that you're going out with and you're just sort of making it up and then you have to open your wallet, you could be really uh, in trouble then. Yeah, that's right. That's so, right. So Absolutely. Do you, do you honestly down. declare everything you've got though each time in and out? Uh, well, pretty uh, much to yeah, the mark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just I in case you, they you do search to. you, they um, we know of people that have had everything in their panniers searched. Every bag's been opened. Every ziplock bag's been t- tossed out. So you know you might have your your money stashed somewhere, but is it worth the risk? You know they're not going to charge you for having. Um, money when you go into the country, but if you start lying on your forms, then it's going to make your life a misery. I know a lot of people are really nervous about telling them how much cash they've got because they figure they're going to get stolen. But uh, I think the border guards are not going to steal your cash because there's too many people around. They may ask you to give it to them for some reason, but they're not going to just take it. Uh, and then, and nine times out of ten, those contributions to their Christmas fund, they don't ask you for all your money. No, no. They just want a contribution, yes. Yeah. Just one thought when um, using credit cards is, um, and ATMs is to be very careful where um, you use an ATM. You know, if the oh, town yeah. um, where you're doing it, use, it feels even remotely dodgy, then don't do it. But one of the tips with this is if you're in bigger towns or cities, then hunt out shopping malls. Um, they frequently have security guards and the security guards know who the local villains are and they're watched or just not allowed in at all. So you're much safer off doing that. But if there are two of you, then have one of you doing um, the, 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 you know, the work on the ATM and the other one watching what's going on and who's watching you. And the other thing to be careful of with ATMs is to make sure that there are no cloning machines attached because um, they're prevalent in developing world countries. And, you know, they'll copy all of your card details and they record what your, your pass, you know, your PIN number is and all of this sort of stuff. So have a good feel around before you start even using your card in the machine. And can I just say that is sound advice for people who want to use ATMs in Australia, where people are getting robbed at ATMs on a fairly regular basis and skimming machines are prevalent in a lot of our ATMs as well. So it's not just developing countries, Sam, it's happening here. That sort, right. of, that sort of theft happens here. I can understand the, the, the robbery thing. Yes, uh, that makes perfect sense. But how do you spot a skimming machine? They're normally mounted on top of um, the scanner that is there for the bank. So if you have a look really carefully and there's something sticking out slightly proud, just hook your finger up underneath the corner of it. And if moves then it's fake. The bank ones are in there nice and firm and the fakes are just sort of, you know, pushed into place and slotted into place. And that's the easiest way to tell. What about the machine? In Korea, is there they actually have a, in Korea, they actually have a, a drawing on the ATM saying, if, the, if where you insert your card doesn't look like this and there's a photograph, do not use this machine. Yeah. I can see somebody so, making making a nice photograph of their skimming machine attached and sticking it oh, over yeah. the photograph. <laughs> I guess if they're going to go to that much trouble, let them have your bloody details. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. There are Shirley, debit cards. Shirley's um, – oh, God, where were we? You, you, uh, oh, do we have to tell yes, this story? Yes, we have story? to tell that story. You tell the story. Go on. <laughs> we were in India and I went to a bank to the ATM and – it gave me the money, but it wouldn't give me my card back. 
And Brian came down from where we were staying because I'd been gone so long and I was beside myself. And in the end, we got a phone and we rang the number on the ATM and I'm having a go at this bloke and he's saying, Madam, you, it must have given you a card back. No, it didn't. And we're visitors you your country. The machine apart. So they sent someone down who pulled the machine apart and my card wasn't in there. And he said, could you look in your wallet? Oh, no. My card was in my wallet. <laughs> it was one of those machines that gave you your card back straight away and then you did your transaction. And I was used to the ones where you did your transaction, then you got your card. So yeah. thank you, Brian, for letting me share that with everyone. <laughs> Very brave to admit that, Shirley. Awesome. <laughs> Trust me, I wasn't going to if he hadn't said it. But next Genuinely time you're sitting around like a fire that. with Simon and Lisa Thomas, be warned because Simon will pop out um, – Talk about your most embarrassing moment when you're on the road. That's just perfect. <laughs> there were some real gems a couple of nights ago. <laughs> I'll bet. I've probably got worse ones than that, but that'll do for starters. <laughs> Any other tips? I've got, a, I've got a couple. The first one is make sure that your bank knows um, where you're going traveling. So when they see your card being used in places that are not normal for you, they're expecting it. Um, yes, that's really important. The sec- uh, second is... There are some debit cards around that you, you can use which don't um, charge a fee. Most of it's credit cards, but there are some debit cards. And one way to do this is, um, from the security point of view, is just feed a little bit into your working debit card at any one particular time. So you've not got a large amount of money. You've just got you know, in what you need there or likely to need there and then for the next days. Um, and then top it up again when it starts getting low. And the third one is to check out and see which countries accept which credit cards because there are still countries in the world that don't like MasterCard, for example, um, and will only accept Visa and Amex and that sort of stuff. But there are some countries that won't accept Visa. I don't know how much politics is involved, but um, that's, um, that's a thing. Fourth tip Steer clear of gold cards because um, you're flashing bling in front of people's faces when you pulled out a gold credit card. And if you can get yourself hold of um, an Amex card, then that's quite a handy thing to have because if you've got sensitive items of posts that you don't want to go to a, a normal post office, um, then Amex offices um, will allow you to use them as the postal address. If you've not got an Amex card, you can't do that, but they'll, they'll hold it. Um, and you can phone them up if you're late and all of that sort of stuff, and they'll keep holding it for you. Whereas post-restantes and things like that, um, they'll keep it for a few days, and then it, they'll send it back to sender. Yeah, we used Amex cards on our trip, and that was absolutely a godsend in those days. Um, have, we even had the Amex gold card, and being able to use that uh, post box thing was terrific. It saved us a lot of grief, and we used it quite a bit. And being able to walk into an Amex office and flash a card and get traverse checks on the spot without any issue at all was really, really valuable. So I would definitely say, yeah, gold card or Amex card at least is very valuable. Uh, the other thing is on Visa cards, there are actually two kinds of Visa networks. And some card, some banks say, yeah, big Visa sign, you put your Visa card in, nope, doesn't, doesn't like it, wrong network. We in North America and Europe tend to think, or Australia as well, um, they all work everywhere, but in a lot of countries, as Sam was saying, they don't like MasterCard, they don't like Visa, they also don't like the other Visa network sometimes too, so watch that one as well. What is the most accepted credit card around the world? Uh, the most? Yeah, that you guys find. Visa. 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 Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. But yeah. we have but a MasterCard have... as well. We, we yes. take, yeah, we, we'll have Visa and Master and that's enough. 
Yeah, we got Visa, MasterCard, and Amex. What the heck? <laughs> One of them will work. <laughs> and don't forget that sometimes the machine will just plain eat your card for no good reason. Uh, in, in, mm. in reality, not like Shirley's method. Thank you very much, Grant, for raising that again. <laughs> That's okay. I'll talk about um, feeding my card in and forgetting what the PIN number was for that particular card, trying three times. Oh, Oops. gone. Gone. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you yeah. feel like an idiot. That happened to me as well. Yeah. So, uh, I just have yeah. the same PIN number for everything. It works well. Well, we're not supposed what, to what do that. that. <laughs> Security experts, of course, will tell you never, ever do that. Yes, Did exactly. you not notice the gentle English sarcasm in my voice there? <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lot of yeah. good tips. We'll, I guess we'll, we'll leave it at that unless somebody had something they really wanted to throw in. Anything? Last call? We could probably talk all day if we pushed it. Yeah, I know. I know, but it's good to get some, uh, some tips for that. Um, but okay, so moving on to our final topic here, biker camaraderie and experiences of it. Now, I'm going to pass this over to Graham because Graham's the one that suggested it. So, so Graham, take it away. Okay, I'm going to try not to be a microphone hog here, but this all kind okay, of... Okay, so time's um, up with that. So we'll move on to the... <laughs> <laughs> and if I could just say one other thing, Jim. <laughs> Save it. <laughs> Looking forward to next month's show. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to try not to be a microphone hog. When um, I've sort of rehearsed this in my head, but of course I didn't write anything down like Jim told me to because he told me to write stuff down. Mm-hmm. I was deliberately being contrary. Um, when I travelled through Russia, it really wasn't my favourite country. In my first book, In Search of Greener Grass, I didn't really have anything that positive to say about it. However, going back a little bit to what Brian was saying, I never came across a corrupt border guard, military checkpoint, police. They were all genuine people. The other, the only other, in my opinion, good thing about Russia was the camaraderie of the bikers. There was no judgment. It didn't matter what you rode, what you wore when you rode it, or how long you'd been riding it for. You were on a bike, and therefore you were one of them. And the honor and the trust and the respect and the generosity that was given to me by other bikers, whether it was as little as let me help you find a hotel or stay in our clubhouse for as long as you want. It was incredible. And I find, actually, this starts happening the second, well, from a European point of view, the second you leave Western Europe, you leave the judgment behind, you know, Goldwing riders are Goldwing riders, Harley riders are Harley riders, race replicas, whatever. The second you seem to get to Poland, Czech Republic, and east of there, the camaraderie seems to build, the judgment seems to decrease. And... This has been shown to me time and time again. And I want to give you a little example of this. It's been a a state of things just breaking and going wrong lately. I was off to the airport uh, the other week uh, in Bulgaria to pick someone up. And it was just the most beautiful afternoon. It was so stunning. It was a clear sky. All the valleys, the leaves are just changing. It was autonomous. I was picking up my friend and it was going to be evening when she arrived. And I thought, maybe we should just spend the night in Sofia and drive back the next day so she can see how stunning this is. And I was leaving with plenty of time because there's some friends of mine, and I've mentioned their product before, the Adventure Logger, which they do, which sort of, um, which is a little bit of uh, hardware that sits on your bike and and uh, and it shows your the trip that you've done. But I'll talk about that later. But anyway, so I was going to see them because they always do stuff for me and I want to do stuff for them. And about 40 minutes outside of Sofia, 
suddenly my pickup truck was going chuff, 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 chuff. And to cut a long story short, a spark plug had blown out the cylinder head and taken the thread with it. So I had to call my friends and um, it was a Saturday evening. And from going to visit them, I ended up having to come out and, ca- and get me and uh, sort my truck out. It, well, can't sort it out other than the fact that they disconnected the, uh, the, uh, the fuel that was going into that particular cylinder. And I chuffed all the way into Sofia where I left it with them. Anyway, again, long story short. Now, two weeks later, other people, bikers who don't know me, have looked at it and it has now ended up in a Subaru dealer. It's not, it's a full pickup truck. It's ended up with a Subaru dealer with a guy who's a biker who, because of the camaraderie, has taken his time to do this really complicated job because if you'd have had to take the engine out, it would have been so expensive, but somehow found a way of re-threading the cylinder head and getting a spark plug in. And uh, all this done on the basis of, oh, yeah, he's a biker and uh, and therefore we help each other. So I really was thinking about this more and more. And this has happened to me again and again in Bulgaria, the, the camaraderie of the motorcyclist. And uh, and I'm sure we've probably all got examples of this. So it was just something I, uh, a, a topic I wanted to rise, uh, raise and see if anybody else has some good examples of perhaps where it's also been used and played upon. Uh, you can't sometimes, I've, I've seen it before in the States where someone's like, hey, bro, uh, you know, can you give me any money for gas? And it's like, you haven't even got a gas tank, mate. You only, all you've got is a bit of an addiction. But it can be used both ways. But I just wanted, I thought I'd throw that topic out there and see what anybody else had to say about it. Well, yeah. um, we were saved by the Magotcha Iron Angels in Siberia. Um, I can we can both just only um, support what Graham says about the bike biker community in Russia. Um, everyone that you see stops to talk to you, whether they speak English or not. There's always a good game of charades when they want to know where you're going and where you've been. But we rode into Magotcha on the Trans-Siberian Highway and it was uh, late, it was dark, it was wet, we had no fuel and we had no accommodation and this little beat-up larder pulled up next to us and the window wound down this big fug of smoke came out the window and this voice went, clubhouse, follow. And Brian <laughs> said to me, what do you reckon? I went, oh, yeah, okay. And we followed this little beaten-up car to a, a shed which had a bike symbol on the outside. They opened the double doors. There were a heap of bikes in the bottom level. Brian rode our bike in. Um, it was Alexi, the president of the Magotcha Iron Angels Motorcycle Club, and Sasha, who was from Vladivostok. Um, they took us out to a cafe for dinner, which they wouldn't let us pay for. They bought beer. Um, we bought a bottle of vodka. We went back to the clubhouse. They, um, We sat and drank and toasted bikes in Russia and Australia and anything that we could think of and they could think of. Um, later on in the evening, a biker from Spain turned up. We all were able to stay the night. They gave us, as the old married couple, the night and day couch for for sleeping. It didn't have any running water, this clubhouse, and it didn't have a toilet. But it was a roof and they were the friendliest people and they would not let us pay for anything. We did leave money for them when we left because they just clearly, we were far more financial than they were. But their generosity of... um, 
of physical things, but also their generosity of spirit was just brilliant. It's one of the reasons that I overland on a motorcycle because of the, the this huge camaraderie between different people and different countries and the welcome and everything else. Um, I love it. Um, I've traveled in lots of different other ways, but um, by far and away, motorcycling is, is the best and the community is awesome. And yeah, okay, you get a few um, insular people who all they want to do is to ride whatever market bike they're on and be snobs and not talk to anybody else. But I actually find them in a the minimum I wave at people or waggle my boot at them and I get it back from everybody, even from guys riding 50cc scooters. Um, hey, two wheels and an engine. Yeah, it seems to make a big difference. And it's pretty rare to be broken down at the side of the road and the bike just drives on by and ignores you, especially in remoter parts of the world. Um, people, you, you just do, you just stop. Somebody's got a problem, you stop, you help. That's part of yeah, the... Yeah. Travelers community and, and biking. Yeah, community. that's right. You, you give it back. You know, you know, I've helped people um, in our part of the world. Um, you know, just going to town on the freeway, and there's a, a kid on the side of the road. He'd obviously run out of fuel, so you know, I, I ride five k's out of my way, go back the other way on the freeway when you get an off ramp, and pick him up and take him down, get him fuel, put him back on his bike. You do those things because that's what it's all about, and I. And I, I tend to agree that Western society, what Graham was saying, we're starting to lose that. We're starting to become mm-hmm. you know, individuals and a bit uh, snobbish. And I refuse to accept that. I wave to everybody. I, mm-hmm. um, I will yeah. help and stop. And I don't care, you know, if you're the local Hells Angels or whatever you are. If you're stuck on the side of the road, you're, you're a mate and you need a hand. It doesn't matter. I'm yeah, a mechanical idiot and, you know, I'll, I'll stop if I see somebody broken down by the side of the road because it may just be that I happen to have the tool that they need, even if I don't know how to use the blooming thing or I've got a phone that works or whatever. Or maybe I can just say there, there, you know, somebody will be along in a minute, but it's the stopping and trying that matters so much, isn't it? Yeah, okay. it is. Yep. Or maybe you have the parts. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Grant. <laughs> I think I'm still waiting for a set of um, uh, tie-down straps to come back from some guy. But, you know, that's 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 the way it is on the road. And, you know, I'll get it back tenfold somewhere else. I know that. Sure. Yeah. Do you think there's hope for the more segregated uh, uh, camaraderie that we have in the Western world? Do you think it's just going to keep on splintering? Or do you think that somehow it's going to make a, a some sort of sweep back where everybody starts to recognize a fellow biker as a fellow biker rather than a brand? Maybe they like need to, to get out of their comfort zone. And ride, ride further than their own city. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference. And and people in the West now, I think, are afraid generally of interaction with other people that they don't know or something. You know, on the side of the road, you stop. Ooh, who's a stranger? I know what's he going to do. Is he going to rob me? And, and I think that's really ruined that camaraderie in a lot of ways. And a friend of mine says he doesn't wave anymore because 90% of the people he waves at don't wave back. So why would he bother waving? Yeah. And, and that I just was, makes uh, it worse. We went, we was at this uh, at this bike show a couple of weekends ago in the uh, UK. Um, we were partying in the van. I was with a, a Romanian couple, uh, a friend of mine, and there was this incredible music drifting across. They were playing Floyd. They were playing Zeppelin. They just had impeccable music taste. And eventually we decided we'd wander over there. And they had these big speakers on stilts and there was this little sort of tent that was lit. And uh, we walked there and I poked my head in. I said, uh, is this a private party or can anybody join in? And this guy was so startled and uh, looked at his mate like, what the hell, someone's come up here. 
And I just said, that's ah, all right, we'll go at the bar. <laughs> the, the absolute standoffishness. <laughs> so you're playing this wonderful music. All we've come to do is to see, you know, we assumed it was to attract attention, but no, it's a private party with just rather loud music. You absolutely didn't want to integrate at all. I just, I was with Romanians, of course, you know, Eastern biker philosophy, and I've sort of got a, a sort of degree of that as well. And I just thought, oh, God, this is so bloody English, so standoffish. <laughs> But it's so ridiculous it's, it's, the way you you're going to get um, great experiences from talking to other bikers and great knowledge of things they've seen or things they've learnt while they've been on the road that you can use for your trip. Just that interaction with other people. It's it's silly to be standoffish. I'll, I'll give you another example of um, last week. I went camping with my son and his his chef mate um, up in the, the back blocks of just out of Melbourne here, you know, two hours away. There's a nice piece of road um, called the Reefton Spur, and the Reefton pub's been there since the mid-1880s. And um, I looked it up. I wasn't sure whether we could camp at the back there or not. I looked it up, and there were some terrible comments on um, uh, those sites that you look at to see what people are. And, you know, it's an old biker's pub. And these people have got terrible ratings from people. Oh, they're not friendly. You know, she was a bitch and all this sort of stuff. We get in there, and you say, g'day. Not a problem. Uh, is there anyone to camp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go down by the brook down the back, and there's a nice campground there. And <clears throat> had a great conversation with him. He rides the, the the gentleman that owned the place rides a um, a Harley, and he was telling us about the good roads out the back there. No problem. We're sitting there having dinner. Um, you know, we'd set our camp up, and um, a young couple come in. We start talking to, to them. Uh, we're about the only four people in this little hotel. We wander back to our campsite to set a fire and it's raining. All the wood that we'd gathered is all wet. So uh, we're sitting around this miserable little campfire. Next thing, the guy that we'd, we were having a beer with in the pub comes back with his ute full of fresh, dry wood and um, he had a bottle of um, half cooking oil, half petrol, poured that on the on the wood and it wasn't going well enough. So then he goes and gets his um, uh, uh, petrol blower Light starts that up and lights it up underneath, and uh, we had a roaring fire going. Shared too many red wines and had a ball, and that's all because of um, you know being friendly, being bikers, and sharing your experiences. And uh, being the, the old man, I went to bed a little bit early, but um, <laughs> when I, I woke up in the morning, there was a lot of bottles scattered around the campfire. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a classic a example of of of, of, of mateship. It's, and it's brilliant. You know, a couple of weeks back in California, I pulled up at some traffic lights and there was a the guy sitting there on this beat-up, noisiest bike, filthy, dirty, dents and scrapes all over the place and the thing's backfiring and spitting and the guy's got these sort of monkey handlebar types on it. Anyway, I pulled up next door to him and nodded. He looked at me and then stared straight ahead and I thought, oh, that didn't go down particularly well. And then he looked around a moment later and he nodded in, in, towards the side of the road and shouted, beer, at me. So I shouted back, coffee, and he shouted, okay. And minutes later, we're sitting by the side of the road, two totally different characters, but we ride motorcycles, and actually yeah. we are drinking coffee. And perfect. <laughs> it was it just just perfect. Yeah. We can't, we can't lose that. We've got to keep that camaraderie going. And if it's forums like this that uh, inform people, don't be a snob. You know, Stick your hand up, wave, whatever it is. Um, don't be shy. Don't I think shy. some people yeah. are, are shy about talking to people they don't know. 
I'm so glad you said that, Brian. I mean, that makes perfect sense. You've got to keep telling people to do it because it was it was quite a while now ago I read in a magazine where the guy was, he basically did a little column about it. He said, the wave is dead. And he went on to say why he doesn't wave anymore and how there's so many bikes on the road and how most people aren't waving, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, I think it's important that, yeah, we, we sort of got to keep it up and I'll have to, you know, as well for even for myself to push myself to, to make sure that I do wave at everybody rather than, uh, and just waving at the ones that look like they're you know, more in tune to wave back. Cause there's a, there's a certain crowd, sure. at least uh, around my home area that does not wave at other kinds of bikes. And it's sort of discouraging. It's easy to fall into the thing. Well, it's oh, it's one of those. I won't bother to wave because I know they're not really interested. So yeah. 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 But uh, if you don't Chinese wave, Ross talks you with a smile. Yeah. You I've got got another little story. I, I built up a bike. I built up this little cafe racer, which is loud and proud and spits <laughs> and farts and carries on. And um, I put a, um, a speedo on it that I hadn't calibrated and uh, I'm taking it out for one of its first runs and I pull up at a set of traffic lights and a bloke pulls up on his bike. He said, man, you've done a great job on that bike, you know. And I said, oh, yeah, but I haven't got a bloody speedo, mate. I'm trying to calibrate it. He said, okay, when we get on the freeway, I'll sit on 100 k's. You sit beside me so you can work out your calibration and all that sort of stuff. I said, yeah, no problem. And, and just I don't know this guy from Adam, but, you know, just that – pulling up at the set of traffic lights and uh, we had this little little tape to tape between us and it was a, it was wonderful to me that's what it's all about no too right we were on a camping site in um in delhi in india and my steering head bearings had got so stiff i was really battling to deal with indian traffic um and i thought you know i've got to try and change these but um i didn't have the tools anyway i got talking to one of the other bikers on the site and this guy had done it many times and he, he wasn't carrying the, the bearing pullers, but he said, I'll get one of the local guys to make us some. And so a new adventure began. So the tour was toddled off with his hand drawings. And, and I don't know, about an hour later, we came back with these handmade bearing pullers and bang, off we went. And yeah, it's helping each other is just brilliant fun, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, Graham, do you have anything else to wrap this one up? No, I was just thinking how we've spoken the, an hour and a half and nobody's Skype cut out yet. Isn't that incredible? It is. Yes, we've been doing very well. I wish you hadn't appointed it. Great mine's cut out twice. <laughs> uh, how can I wrap it up? No, uh, obviously we're all preaching the same uh, the same thing. It's it's a wonderful thing that the, the snobbery has to be left behind. You can debate the waving thing. I remember reading stuff about this in Backstreet Heroes back in the eighties. But yeah, keep the camaraderie because we've got enough enemies out there. We don't need infighting. Yeah, I think it's Absolutely. a great idea. And, and and push yourself to wave. Push yourself to acknowledge everyone out there and uh, and try and you know get people doing it again. Get people doing it more. Right on. Spot on. Well, on to plugs. What do we have to plug? Well, Sam, I'm going to start with you. Oh, well, that's really kind of you. Thank you, because I'm quite feeling quite excited at the moment. Um, we have just had printed and delivered a new edition of my second book, Under Asian Skies. So since 2005, this book has been selling as the first edition with reprints, and it's got a little bit old and it needed updating and I never really liked the cover on it. So we have got um, a, a cover that I'm absolutely blown away by and there are more stories in it. And um, one of the delights of how technology have moved on 
is that colour photos aren't so expensive to have in your book anymore. So I've got lots more colour photos in the book and I'm just chuffed a bit. The only thing is, it was supposed to arrive a month ago and it didn't. So it's arrived and Birgit and um, Phil Schianini, who does all the, the graphic design for me and everything, they're both smiling and I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, well chuffed. So you, you said Where there's more stories the in this book. That means that it's worthwhile for someone who even has the book uh, for the original print. It's worthwhile for them to get another no, I don't think so. There's there's not that many new stories, but <laughs> Sam, there are Sam, there gaps. You're supposed and... to say <laughs> laughing is up, You're supposed to say, of course yeah, it is, of course. Definitely get Jim, the new I, one. I really I I really valued the opportunity to do that, but you know, I me, mean, I'd rather say it how it is. Um and you know for, for there were there were gaps in the book where when I wrote it and you know, all of the editing was done and everything else. And subsequently, I've listened to the feedback that readers have said. You know, standing at um, bike shows and that sort of stuff, and people say, "Yeah, I love this bit, but I would like to have had a bit more on that." So you know, there's maybe in some places just two or three lines more, but it just adds a little bit of depth. And in a couple of places, there's a new paragraph and that sort of stuff. So it's it's not worth somebody going out and buying um, the new edition if they've got the first one. But they should get hold of the audiobook version of it. I think they'll they'll like that. Yeah, the audiobook's good, Sam. Thank you, Shirley. Cheers. Grant was going to ask, where can you buy the book? Yeah. Um, it's available through um, the Books Factory. They should be getting their stock any day now. Um, there may still be one or two of the first editions floating around. So if people want to nab themselves a first edition, then try and order it. But over the coming weeks, then it'll be with Amazon and um, all sorts of places. So just keep your eye out. As the graphics start to change on the various websites, then that means that um, they've got the new stock. So there'll be a week or two of um, first editions and then the new edition coming in. But um, they can always check it out with me. Um, on my website, which of course is sam-manicum.com. Very nice. And of course, we'll put the link in our show notes to that under Asian Skies, new Thank edition. And, and in my opinion, I would highly recommend that you go out and buy it, even if you have the old one, because that keeps Sam out there. It keeps him doing things and producing more stuff. So that's just my two bits there. On to Graham. Rumor has it as well, there's an editor's cut of that. And in one of the paragraphs, Sam Manicom actually swears. <laughs> I'm sitting here speechless, Graham. You've given the game away. <laughs> Graham, it's you. Oh, is it me? Graham, oh, right, okay. <laughs> that's me. Um, right. This kind of ties in what I was saying earlier. I've spoken about this on, I don't know whether it was Adventure Radio Radio on Raw, but my friends in Bulgaria have developed this thing called the My Adventure Logger. And it's a little box that fits on your motorcycle and it records the whole of your journey. And then you can see that. I just did a practice one because it's a phone app as well. And when I just drove my van last week back from the UK, back down to Bulgaria, I tra traced it just because I did a, like a 24-hour stint followed by a 16-hour stint. And then you... This is great for so many reasons, and I won't go on about promoting it all again because it is on another uh, on another uh, uh, episode that we've done. But also, if you go to my website, brownfield.co.uk, there's actually a tab called Logger, and you can read about it if you're interested. And it is a spectacular thing. They have been developing it for years, and it is just about to go to market. It's these same people who are helping me out with me dead pickup truck. 
but that's not just why I mention it. Why I mention it is tomorrow I'm flying back to the UK and I'm bringing back um, one of my motorcycles, a, a, a Triumph Tiger, and I'm going to bring it back. Having spoken earlier in the show about how you shouldn't be destination driven, I'm going to bring it back in one hit <laughs> because I want to do an iron butt challenge. I've never done it before. And uh, so not only am I going to do the iron butt thing um, on my bike to get it back to Bulgaria, I'm going to do it with the Adventure Logger. And so it's practically going to be in real time. So certainly via my Facebook, possibly via my website, if anybody gives a damn, you can actually watch my progress as I go from Holland, drive through Germany or ride through Germany through the night and try and do the thousand miles in 24 hours and possibly the 1500 in 36, which you'll see more do I hear. Not only am I doing it in real time and I'm also doing it on my birthday. So that's my plug on the 15th and 16th of October, if Jim gets this edited in time because I've been so good and haven't cocked up at all on this show, then you'd be able to watch in real time via – I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to put a link on my website, but certainly on my Facebook page, and uh, my which there, there's two of. And you'll be able to uh, – every time I stop for fuel – there's going to be um, there's going to be Wi-Fi. I'm going to be up, able to update it, and you can watch me ride through the night and the next day and see if I can achieve this iron butt. Which, of course, I won't be doing if it's raining because I don't have any waterproofs. Wouldn't be any fun anyway. <laughs> so, for those who don't know, don't what, worry, Graham. I'll lend you a bin bag <laughs> and some duct tape. What what exactly do you get with the iron butt once you achieve the one thousand or fifteen hundred? Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, to, to, firstly, I mean, it's, it's a very big association, and I mean, there's all sorts of uh, of, of, of various uh, degrees you can take this endurance to. For me, it's just going home. And I've just been reading the 25 uh, hit, hints and tips on how you prepare and what you do. And some of them are very good, you know. You know, if you're putting some new farkles or electronics on your bike, you know, don't do it just before you do your own butt. Make sure you've tested it first. They don't. They frown on stimulants, coffee, Coca-Cola, stuff like that, and tip, tips on when you think you're feeling tired. Whereas a truck driver for 17 years, I know when I'm feeling tired behind the wheel or the bars, so I don't think that's an issue. But one of the tips, and I thought this was appalling, was if you're on, and, and okay, it was kind of American orientated, but it, if you're on a really dull, boring piece of road, have... Um, have some music ready so that you can put your earplugs in and listen to some music. What? So you're on a dull, boring bit of road and you are now going to dull your senses to the sound of other traffic and the sound of your own engine by listening to music. I disagree very strongly with that hint and tip. <laughs> I was going to mention funny, the, the coffee that, one because I know on there they say they, they recommend that you do not drink coffee as a stimulant. And, and I have to disagree be, because we did an episode with a, a fellow named Samuel McCora who studies the effects of caffeine on the body in particular with motorcyclists. And he found that it has tremendous benefits for the rider for keeping them awake. Well, I'm the same because I don't... Um, I, I, I hardly ever drink coffee, so I have a really low tolerance to it. Same with Coca-Cola. And so if I'm having that sort of mid-afternoon little dozy feeling, a, a can of Coca-Cola or a coffee will keep me going for ages. And I appreciate that the blood sugar will change and perhaps the drop will be more intense when it does come. But I'm, I'm not going to 
do the whole thing fueled on caffeine and Coca-Cola, but I'm not opposed to having a little coffee now and again because if I'm doing something long in endurance, it helps me because I do, the only other time I drink it is it shows. Sam will tell you. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying nothing, Graham. I'm not giving any of your secrets away. <laughs> I find better than coffee or Coke is uh, some gorp, basically peanuts, nuts. I like cashews. Uh, a little bit of sugar to go with it, uh, like Smarties, and that's much more long-lasting and gives you a solider lift than coffee, which is more of a short zap. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, all the nuts have fallen off the tree, so I've got no shortage of nuts, and I'm sure I can find yeah. some Smarties somewhere. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. GORP is a uh, short name, is the acronym for good old reliable peanuts. Basically, <laughs> a, a bag of peanuts, nuts, few smarties things like that that are easy to just grab and t- toss a handful in your mouth and keeps you going much much better than uh, coffee or any of that kind of stuff um, and certainly you don't want a chocolate bar that's the worst thing you can do chocolate bar gives you a hit for about 20 minutes and then drops you like a stone right that's that's you, what you need the protein <laughs> yeah you need the protein to keep you going i also use um, the, the little baby bells the little cheese pla- in plastic that works really well too so so that was it that's your plug yeah that's completed we're done with you yeah finished now can i sit down (laughs) no keep standing we have a cap for you to wear (laughs) so (laughs) on on to grant what do you have grant ah well we're heading off to spain in about two hours we're heading for the airport and we're going to spain for our hum navigation challenge which we haven't held there for a couple of years now but we're back. We're in Aragon, and it's going to be a great event. The area is beautiful for riding, and um, that's happening like next week. You're probably already too late by the time you hear about it. It'll be already done. But the good news is we've got another one happening next May, May 28 to 31st. And speaking of hums, we've got two more to announce on that too. Uh, the Appalachians in Maryland, USA, May 5 to 7. And the Monashies in British Columbia, Canada, July 28 to 30. Those are all open for, or will be open for registration very shortly. Uh, but you can go to horizonsunlimited.com slash hum and put your name down and we'll keep you posted on the latest details on it. The hum's a, a great, fun riding event. Get out there and ride your bike for two or three days. We take you to all kinds of beautiful spots and make sure that you have a good ride. So that's what that's all about. And then, of course, from Spain, we're going direct to South Africa for the travelers meeting there, November 3 to 6. If you're in the area, come visit us. We're in a little town or near a little town called Pochefstroom near Johannesburg. So we're looking forward to that one. We get to go and visit the animal farms and do a lot of visiting. Uh, there's a game park right next door to the event owned by our host. So you get to ride your motorcycle in the game park. And for those of you who had a momentary thought of, well, wait a minute, what about this Meals on Wheels things I keep hearing about? There's no predators in this game park, so we're all safe. And, of course, Brian and Shirley talk about Snowy Mountains, Horizons Unlimited Travelers meeting coming up in Jindabyne, New South Wales, November 18 to 20. So Brian and Shirley well, are going, going to be running to, but, uh, <laughs> oh, You're going to head off on a trip now, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 we're getting re- – well, we're well, actually yeah. going away um, – Next week, we're going to Malaysia for the motorcycle GP. You know, I don't know if you caught up with oh, the nice. uh, car F1 GP over in Malaysia where nine Australians stripped down uh, after the race to their budgie smugglers, which had the Malaysian flag uh, across the back of it and got arrested. 
and locked up <laughs> for doing so. But, uh, yeah, we're off to the Malaysian MotoGP with a few mates. Uh, there's 10 of us. So um, I don't think budgie smugglers will be uh, uh, appearing at the MotoGP. But, um, yeah, we, we're looking forward to it. It should be a bit of fun. We've done it before, been over there. Um, you know, it's cheaper to fly to a Malaysia, go to the, Mal- uh, the MotoGP there and pay – uh, for a grandstand seat than what it is to um, travel an hour and a half down to Phillip Island and go to the Moto GP here in Australia. Is but, it um, really? Wow. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. But, um, yeah, uh, just talking about the Horizons Unlimited thing, yeah, that's coming together quite well. We've um, For people in Australia, we've got the, the Ural sidecars coming down and the guy's going to give us a demonstration on... Um, how to ride a sidecar, which I'm rather interested to see because it's completely opposite to a motorcycle and um, uh, things around that. Um, we've got a really good um, travel um, photographer coming along, Emma. She's going to um, show people how to take good uh, photos. Uh, probably better than you, Grant. It'll be, it'll be good to see, mate. be good that to compare be that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tex and Bundy are going to be there, yeah, the, the dog that rides on the motorbike. Yeah, you need special permission to have a, a dog ride on a motorbike around Australia out here and um, on the tank of a motorbike. And um, Tex has his companion dog with him. And I, I'm going to go a little bit in depth with, with Tex as to the reasons why and the reasons, reasons why he rides. And I think um, people will be very interested in that. You know, he's, he suffers from um, post traumatic stress disorders and things like that. But Motorcycling is a great escape, and uh, we're going to go in pretty in-depth with that sort of stuff. And there'll be people talking about riding in South America, Vietnam, Africa, India, Europe, Russia. So plenty for people to do, and it's in Jindabyne, the heart of the Snowy Mountains, which is great riding everywhere. Every road into Jindabyne is a good road, apart from the one through Cank Coburn, which has collapsed because of the rain. But you know, that's okay. Well, I'm going up there to try that out later on, uh, <laughs> probably Sunday, to go and see what it's like up there. But, um, yeah, we've, we've got plenty on, actually. It's it's coming together quite well. I think Grant and Susan will be quite pleased with the, what we're trying to do here. But, um, yeah, and we've also, we will have uh, maps of uh, less travelled roads up in that area for everyone to, to uh, take home and experience or uh, go on their own way. So that's uh, what we're up to. Sounds good. We wish we could be there. We're really bummed that we just can't put it together. But, no, oh well. and you're leaving you the kitties in. Job. You're leaving the kitties in charge of the lolly shop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have a few spies there to check and make sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn! Well, I hope you all have a good time. I like the devotion to the show, Grant. You're going in like two hours, and we're recording this. Yes. Very nice. Literally two hours from now, we're we're getting in the car and rolling. <laughs> so I did my packing yesterday instead of half an hour before we got to leave. Well, I guess that about wraps it up then. Unless that, Shirley, did you have something separate you wanted to plug? No, 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 no. I'm good with that. But I just would like to congratulate Graham on his self control this week. <laughs> I think it has been. Remarkable, and it will be remembered. Thank well, you, but yeah. let me just say, let me just finish with this. This is the sound of an empty Jura bottle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, someday oh, when so we're doing this by video, it might be a lot more fun because I, I can picture Graham sitting there on his hands, you know, bouncing up and down, wanting to say something, but no, 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 i got to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, if you're going to do that, we'll have to get up an hour earlier. 
<laughs> well, that about wraps it up then. I guess that finishes our Raw for October 2016. And uh, after show party is where? No point going to Graham's to finish the whiskey. It's true. And not here because we're gone, but we can all meet you all in Spain. Let's make it Spain. Well, that sounds like a plan. Spain's this time of year. Well, the party's just w- warming up here. So that means you're not coming to Spain? Oh, yeah. The party's just warming up in Phoenix. Okay. <laughs> now come to Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix is even warmer. Okay, Phoenix it is then. I- I've just got to get my shoes and coat, though, so you have to give me a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you're on. All right. Thanks, everyone. You won't, you won't need waterproofs. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, uh, okay. thanks for, for putting up the gym, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. Bye. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there it goes. That wraps up another one. Adventure Rider Radio Raw comes out once a month. You can subscribe separately. Remember, it's a different show than our regular Adventure Rider Radio show. Hey, if you like what we're doing, you want to keep the show coming to you for free, consider dropping by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and click on the Donate button and help support this show and uh, keep them coming at you. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio Raw. See you next month. <laughs>